Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will hear the cultural journeys of manufacturing leaders and discuss best practices for creating healthier workplace cultures in manufacturing that help and retain and recruit. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we'll be talking with Paul Van Meter from ProShop ERP about his company's cultural journeys and his three cultural initiatives as well as how ERP software can help manufacturers change their culture in a positive way. Paul is a co-founder of ProShop ERP, a revolutionary web-based and paperless ERP MES QMS system specifically designed for the metalworking industry. They partner with shops that seek to push the edge of technology by going completely paperless, strengthening their ISO or AS9100 systems, combining all of their shop software into one system and building robust business processes to achieve high growth and profitability rates, as well as performance. Paul holds a BS in industrial technology and founded a precision aerospace machine shop directly out of college in 1997 using the concept of a franchise prototype. prototype. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. My pleasure, Jim. I am very much looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, I'm very excited for this. Uh, I was happy we were able to connect on LinkedIn and, and get you set up so quick. I know that your schedule is quite hectic, uh, especially at the start of the year. So I appreciate you making time for us today. Uh, it was my pleasure, and I'm uh, actually I just finished recording one of my podcast episodes <laughs> just prior to jumping on with you. So it is a day for recording. So I'm awesome. in the zone. I'm in the zone. Awesome, that's fantastic. And anybody who hasn't heard Paul's uh, podcast, please do check it out. Paul, where where can they find that podcast? Is it uh, on it Apple, is Spotify, every single platform? And it is called the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. Fantastic. Check it out, guys. It's a wonderful podcast. And we often talk about culture, by the way, because <laughs> uh, I'm interviewing shop owners about what's why they're so successful. Well, there you go. There you go. Yep. I love yep. it. Yeah. Um, so, Paul, today we're going to talk. Uh, first, you're going to tell us about your companies, right? What, tell us about the machine shop a little bit. Tell us about uh, Pro Shop, uh, just high level overview. Um, then, I'd love for you to take uh, me and the listeners on a journey uh, of of the culture of both your your businesses that you've had since '97. Where were they? Where are they mm -hmm. now? Where do you want to get them? Uh, before we talk about your three initiatives, or even about uh, how uh, ERP systems can can help. Uh, manufacturers improve their culture. So tell us a little bit about the, sh uh, the shop that you owned and, and about ProShop and, and the transition from one to the other. Sure. Yeah. So um, as you said in the intro, I, my partners and I uh, started a machine shop straight out of college. Uh, basically, we took uh, some money from a second mortgage that one of my partners had on his house, and we bought a Haas VF4 and rented a small little warehouse space near Seattle and started knocking on doors looking for work. Wow, that's and, so cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm glad he had enough equity in his house to, to <laughs> allow us to do that. Um, and we grew that company uh, over 17 years uh, to about 75 people uh, and had a, a great time doing it. 
And during the time, sort of originally unintentionally, we started developing some software to help run our own company because as we started needing software and went out on the market to look at what was available, we were just really disappointed by what we found. And so rather than buying one of those that we thought was not very well suited to a job shop like us, uh, we just built something from scratch, but no intentions of selling it to anyone. That's how we the transition to the next business started. Um, we had one of our, actually our biggest machine shop customer. Uh, one of their employees came and worked for us on the weekends for a little while to earn some extra money and saw the system, thought it was amazing, went back to the owners of the business and they approached us and asked us if we would sell it to them. And at first we said no, <laughs> but uh, as, as everyone knows, uh, we finally said yes. And that just, you know, snowballed into selling the machine shop and starting a, a software company about uh, six years ago. Wow. That's really cool. I mean, so how, just quick aside, how did mm-hmm. you get the, the idea? Why, why a machine shop after college? What? I love the question. Uh, so I say this sometimes to, uh, I, some, I, I don't share this with everyone, but it's definitely been out there enough times that those that follow me would know. We actually wanted to start a very small niche car company. Oh, interesting. So the program that we did in college, the industrial design program or uh, whatever it's called, um, it was actually at a specific program called the Vehicle Research Institute. And we basically got to design and build cars. It was the most fun college experience I could ever imagine having and super intensive. But uh, we had this concept for the way to design and build a vehicle that was really innovative. And... uh, we just the main thing is that my partners and i we were all on these teams together so every year uh, besides taking a full college load of classes it was 100 percent extracurricular but we we and i know if if there's people listening that are in the engineering fields uh it was for us it was the formula sae competition okay that's the society of automotive engineers and they put on many different types of competitions uh, Formula is one of them. Uh, Mini Baja is another. But we basically designed and built a little single seat race car every year. So in September, we'd start designing the vehicle. Over the winter time, we would start building all the parts. In the spring, we would assemble them all into the car and hopefully get some testing under our belt. And then in May, we'd go compete with about 100 other universities. That's so cool. You, I, I wish you could have seen my face when you were explaining <laughs> that because my jaw was just absolutely wide open. It, that's amazing. It was, it, it defined the rest of my life. It really has. Um, and, uh, and so to get back to the question, my partners and I, the, we were all on this team together and, you know, after working, you know, up to over a hundred hours a week on a very intensive project, you really bond. And, yeah. uh, so, uh, my, my business, you know, one of my business partners today, Kelsey, you know, he and I were assigned as lab partners in our very first class in the first day of class <laughs> and worked on this team together. And, uh, we've been together 30 years this year. Wow. Uh, that's know, as, so cool as, as best friends and business partners. So, so yeah, um, so that's 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 so we basically didn't want to we just didn't want to all scatter to the winds and so rather and we didn't have the money you know we barely had enough to to, to start a shop we certainly didn't have a mo- enough money to start a car company right so 
we knew that a machine shop needed all the same equipment and processes and people and infrastructure. And so we said, you know what, guys, let's start a machine shop. And very naively, we figured that within no more than a couple of years, we'd have enough free profits and cash flow and <laughs> spare time on the evenings and weekends to build a prototype car, go out and find some investment investors, and then really make a go of it. And, uh, and you know, it's funny, I sometimes I don't share the full extent of that story, partly because there's not enough time and partly because I, I almost I sometimes feel like the fact that we never started a car company was a failure. Mm. And I don't want to admit that I failed at something. But, uh, but I think what we've gone on to do is much more important than a car company, to be honest, yeah. and probably even more rewarding for me. So I can lean into that. That's awesome. And uh, Paul, you of all people know that failure happens. Uh, oh yeah, and and your vulnerability in just talking about it will help other people. Um, whether it's people who listen to this or or other people that you uh, touch in in your day to day, uh, uh, that's a that's a pretty cool story. I, I gotta say. So share with us, Paul. Um, you know, you built this car comp or this machine shop. Um, out of an idea and, and you grew it to 75 people. What were some of the, the cultural challenges that you had along the way as you, as you're building this organization from you and, and a buddy or two into mm -hmm. a 75 person organization? Yeah, well, you know, we, well, I'll first admit that I was, I was not always good at uh, building good culture and being a good leader. Um, sure. That was something, you know, I was what, we were 23 or something <laughs> at the time when we started the shop. And so, you know, very young, very naive, uh, and definitely uh, had to learn a bunch and, and learning from mistakes. Um, I remember there was a time where pretty early on within the first year or so, and we had an employee, a machinist, and I just noticed that he was spending a little more time than I would expect in the bathroom. Hmm. And it just started, you know, started getting to me. And I'm like, this guy's just sitting there, you know, wasting time, not, uh, you know, not, not working, not keeping his machine running. And so at one point I confronted him and I said, hey, you know, it's not cool to just spend a bunch of time hanging out in the bathroom. And he's like, well, actually, I, you know, I have IBS and it's, you know, it's kind of a medical issue. And I felt I just felt so tiny yeah. after he said that. Um, and I I didn't I didn't think about anything besides the negative aspect of that. Right. Right. And so one of the huge lessons that I learned from that is to always assume positive intent. I love it. And I think that is such an important uh, concept and principle to hold, hold close. Yeah. Uh, along with the, 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 the question, the, um, the concept of people are always doing their best. They're, they're one in the same kind of, but, mm -hmm. um, but if you can approach everything in business or your life that way, and it's really life, you know, your kids, <laughs> your spouse, your partners, whomever, your family yeah. with assuming positive intent and that people are doing the absolute best they can given, what they know, their skill set, their knowledge, the you know the things they've learned in their life, or whatever it is up until that moment in time. If they could do better than that, they would. And the the fact that they're not uh, 
doesn't mean they're not trying their best. And, and sure. that is a such a, I know some people think that's total BS, uh, but I firmly believe it. And uh, it really changes the outlook on how you think about people. And that, that flows to culture. Yeah. Uh, so th- those, those, those basic principles were, you know, were learned <laughs> sometimes the hard <laughs> way, uh, but it really, you know, underpinned the way we ran our, our, our company. Good. And, uh, you know, the proofs in the pudding, we, you know, in our software company today, almost a full 25% of our employees are former employees of our machine shop. And they followed really? us, they followed us to this new company. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, almost, yeah, we have about just, just over 70 people now and, uh, almost 25% of those are from the shop. And some of them are from the very earliest days, you know, wow. guys that, that worked with us before 2000, you know, we yeah. hired in like 98, 99 kind of time frames. Holy cow. That's, yeah. that's pretty neat. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit more about that transition from being a machine shop to a software company and, and some of the, the cultural struggles that go along with not only acquisitions, right. But then mm-hmm. also launching, uh, a software company in the manufacturing space. I mean, it was certainly a big learning curve for us. We, we had never done anything but run a, run a machine shop. Uh, but you know, honestly, the, the things that we learned running our shop were almost universally transferable to the, to the company. You know, at the end of the day, it's really all about people. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that we had fortunately, you know, learned enough from our mistakes early on to build a culture that, you know, that many employees said was the best place they'd ever worked, Hmm. I think, uh, made that transition at least on the people side, uh, you know, relatively straightforward. Sure. Um, those principles are universal, regardless of whether it's a manufacturing company or, or a software company or, or any other type of company. Yeah. Right. Uh, people want to come to a business where they feel cared for, where they feel autonomy to do their best work, where they don't want to feel micromanaged, where they want to feel respected. And those are all such critical pieces to have in a company that, uh, if you have those, the rest is going to fall into place, right? That, 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 what is the saying goes culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Absolutely. Peter Drucker, I think. Yep. And it's so true. Not that strategy is important. It's critically important, but if you are trying to execute a strategy with a bad culture, good luck. Right. Good Absolutely. luck. Absolutely. Um, and I actually started um, my company initially as a strategy consulting company. And mm-hmm. uh, after <laughs> a, a quick time, I realized that the the strategy wasn't the most important part. I was leading with strategy, but helping with culture. And after the first couple of months uh, as a business owner, I switched those. I led mm-hmm. with culture and the KPIs, the strategy, uh, it all fell into place. Uh, if you address the culture, if you, if you mm-hmm. treat people like human beings, um, 
so yeah, that's that's a very uh, profound quote. Um, quick aside, Paul. Um, you know, you talked about the story of the gentleman in the bathroom, and and you talk about um, you know putting people first. Our industry, manufacturing, has a historic reputation for putting profits before people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so talk about your experience in overcoming that. I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think it's a really important point that that manufacturers and, and companies in general cannot put uh, profits or, or productivity before people. Talk to us a little bit about that concept. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course it's, it's, uh, the, that idea is a very short-term strategy, <laughs> uh, putting profits over people. Um, you know, you might have some success for a little while, but, but ultimately it's not going to win out. Um, you know, uh, when a, when a business starts, you know, a traditional small business, you know, it's started by a person or two or a few, uh, and they do everything right. They wear yeah. all the hats and as they grow, they will need to hire people to help them take over different roles in the company. And without that team in place, it's really hard to do any kind of growth, right? Yeah. Um, if you are constantly churning employees, um, you know, high turnover because they just don't, don't love working for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that, that's, that's almost an insurmountable issue, right? There yeah. are, um, you're constantly trying to train people and have them figure out what you're doing and how to do it well. And I mean, forget about trying to achieve any level of excellence. You're just trying <laughs> to barely scratch the surface and, you know, get, get, getting done what you need done. And without an incredible culture, you are going to have high turnover. You are going to have people that leave. You're going to have people that are just there to, get a paycheck, but they're basically checked out, you know, a lot of the time they're not mm -hmm. contributing their best effort to helping the company improve. They're not uh, volunteering to take additional things or to go above and beyond. And so it just, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the end of the year, you know, a company that really focuses on having those employees feel, you know, loved and supported and empowered and part of a team, um, part of a family, they're going to have a tough time if that's not their focus, you yeah. know, and, and I, and I hear, you know, so many shops I talk with talk about having a very family atmosphere, which is wonderful, but there are some very dysfunctional families as well out there, <laughs> let alone business families. Yeah. Um, so that in and of itself is not enough. You got to have an excellent sort of family culture, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually uh, talked about that not in uh, addressing an audience uh, type of function, but at a NTMA roundtable event, mm -hmm. uh, the the concept of uh, culture came up, and uh, I always challenge people who say that they have a culture that is like a family, because mm -hmm. to me. And maybe it's the family I grew up in. Maybe it's experiences I've had with families, but it's a lot harder for P 
people to hold others accountable in a family atmosphere than mm-hmm. it is on a team, right? So I always coach my clients and, and people that I talk to, let's, let's talk about it as a team because players uh, on the basketball court, football field, baseball, diamond, whatever, whatever sport pitch on mm-hmm. soccer, mm-hmm. the players are able to hold each other accountable for their yeah. actions, right? Yep. It, you're not just looking to the manager or the coach to, to hold people accountable. In families, you either have a patriarchal or matriarchal uh, structure where mom or dad holds people accountable. You don't see a whole lot of brothers and sisters or twins, you know, people of the relative same age mm-hmm. holding each other accountable. So I always challenge people on that. Um, yeah, and I agree. That's very true. And even a parent-child relationship, there's often parents use techniques that are really not super awesome. <laughs> um, healthy. <laughs> yeah. Health, you know, healthy. Yes. Um, so yeah, really good communication. Um, you know, working through issues constructively, having good accountability. Those are all things that not a lot of families do super, super duper well. Right. So yeah, I definitely agree on that focus on team. Absolutely. But at the same time, you could have teams that don't feel a lot of love, right? There's, there's, uh, there's teamwork, there's, there's, uh, you know, high performance, but I think the most enduring companies, their, their employees feel super supported and, 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 you know, use the word love that they just feel like the company cares about them deeply as people. And it feels good to feel that way. So, you know, why would you want to leave a company where that's how they made you feel, assuming that everything else was, you know, you're compensated fairly and things like that as well. So, yeah. No, yeah, that's a great this point. Is so important. I, I think that's a great point. And and maybe on a, a later episode or on your podcast or just in a conversation over our favorite beverage, uh, we can redefine and, and come up with a term that kind of marries the the two, marries that love mm-hmm. feeling, right? Uh that that people get from the family with the accountability piece of, of a team. I don't know if there's a word mm-hmm. out there already. I'm not a word guy, um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll Absolutely. solve that. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, so Paul, uh, moving on to where you are now uh, mm-hmm. with, with pro shop and, and your culture there. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple of people. Uh, I talked with Katie regularly getting this scheduled. Um, talked with you before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen your success. I, I mean, we were talking before we started recording about, uh, how I can't walk into a shop without hearing the words pro shop ERP. And, and you don't get to that kind of a point without having a positive culture, right? You don't see mm-hmm. those kinds of results without having a positive culture. Talk to us about where you are now with your culture. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, it's, um, it's an evolution of what we had at our shop and there's a few key principles that I'll share. Uh, one, of course I, I shared the, you know, the positive intent and doing their best. Uh, we often, uh, always often now, and certainly back in the shop, if there is something that has gone wrong, we focus heavily on the process, not on the person. Okay. Right. If, if we have, 
say at a machine shop, you have, you know, us, some scrap, right? Mm -hmm. Someone scraps out some parts. Uh, rather than, you know, blaming on the machine operator or the machinist that made those parts, you know, maybe even doing a five why process where you ask why five times and really mm -hmm. get to the root cause of what happened there. It's probably something upstream of what that person was doing or the process was not robust enough, designed well enough to help ensure that that quality was going to stay high. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at all of our, uh, again, going back to our shop at our all team meetings, uh, every month we would, we'd have, you know, all employees come to a, to a meeting and we would, you know, we were open book. We'd share how we were doing financially. We'd talk about new things that are happening in the company. Uh, and every month we would also focus on, uh, some of maybe one or two of the best jobs that we executed on that month and sure. a couple of the worst jobs, you know, okay. the jobs that were the least profitable. Uh, or had the biggest problems. And we always focused on what we could do to improve the process to not have that happen again. Awesome. You know, it was never a, a dumping on, on any individual person or team. It was just, you know, this is what happened. Here's what we learned from how we can improve the process. Here's a new task. Here's a revision of our quality procedure for how, you know, that ultimately let that failure happen. And, uh, and it was very collaborative, you know, we, we would bring our teams together to talk about, you know, uh, improvement, you know, continuous improvement was a huge part of it. That is a cultural thing, not just a business thing. Absolutely. For sure. People feel that in their heart that, that the company wants their ideas. They, they always are looking to improve things. That's, that's super powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, occasionally we would have, uh, you know, an employee come along that wasn't a good fit to the culture. Mm -hmm. And that was really a failure in the process of hiring. Right. right. We, we hired the wrong person and we, uh, we, you know, to this day still occasionally have that happen. But uh, I'd say one of our most mature processes at pro shop is our HR and hiring and recruiting practices. We have, an absolutely world-class team doing that. Um, you know, the anecdote to, to kind of, you know, not to beat our own drum, but, you know, over the period of you know, the last three years, really during COVID, mm -hmm. you know, we've grown from about 24 people to over 70. Wow. And in that entire period of time, we've only had two people voluntarily leave the company. Wow. And we've only let go maybe two people as well. So, like, you know, not zero, but almost as close to zero as you can get for turnover. And it's because we do such a thorough job in hiring people for great cultural fit that also have the skills that we need them to have. This episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast is brought to you by TCO Strategies. A company is only as good as its employees, and a healthy workplace culture is essential to attracting and retaining those employees. TCO Strategies can help you assess the impact of your company's people strategies on the employee experience. We combine industry best practices, a proven system, and a knowledge of our clients to build a customized cultural roadmap. Invest in your team, and create a healthy workplace 
culture with TCO Strategies. Visit tcostrategies.com. That's tcostrategies.com to learn more. Now, now, Paul, real quick, because that's a huge part of manufacturing is making sure that people are a good cultural fit to reduce mm-hmm. that churn, reduce that turnover. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're in the last, I don't know, 15 years, I've heard a lot of companies say that they're just looking for somebody who can fog a mirror when they walk in the door, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, so how do you reconcile that desperate need for people versus hiring for cultural fit, right? And, and give us some uh, some tips, uh, the people listening, some tips on how, uh, on the shop side, how did you vet that cultural fit? We did that through very careful interviewing and, and, and more than just, um, you know, business questions, you know, right. asking them about, themselves about what their passions are about what drives them uh you know sometimes especially if it was a higher up position we would you know go have dinner with them and or one of the one of the we did it occasionally uh, logistically it wasn't always possible but one of the best things i'd ever heard about from another uh, um actually is a former customer of ours when they were hiring for a position, this was an engineering company, whenever they were hiring for, for a position, they would invite that person and their spouse, if they had a spouse, to like a dinner at one of their homes mm-hmm. with a group of people. You know, maybe the senior leadership would get together and invite them to dinner. And even just observing how they behaved in dinner, how they treated their spouse? Did they volunteer to help clean up? Did they just jump right in and start doing dishes? You know, that said a lot about who that person was that would not necessarily come through in an interview. Yep. Um, and uh, that helped them to, you know, hire people that they just really thought were good people and would fit well in their culture. Um, so one of the other strategies I would definitely recommend is assuming that your company has core values. And if you don't, then you need to back up and get those established <laughs> because yep. those are far more important than anyone realizes, especially companies that don't have them yet. Uh, you know, I, I typically ask that question on my podcast of my, my shop leaders that I interview. Yeah. And, you know, I only interview, you know, for the most part, pretty good sized shops that have had a lot of success over, you know, over decades. Yeah. And almost universally, they have strong core values. They communicate them to their teams. They talk about them regularly. And so that just tells you something, right? Yep, Um, absolutely. And so, but taking those core values and putting them in your job ads. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to attract people that mesh well with your culture, you have to filter for those at the very earliest stages of your job or your recruiting process, right? Yeah. And we do that. And it's amazing. I talked to a new employee from Australia just on, you know, over Zoom a couple of weeks ago. And she said that she was just, you know, browsing through the help wanted ads and, you know, <laughs> just one after another. Yeah, it looks okay, looks okay. And she saw our ad and she started reading it. She's like, yeah, this sounds interesting. I have those qualifications. And then that near the bottom, 
she saw a word and that we were looking for a quality and she just fixated on that word and she's like i've never seen that word in a job ad and i really want to work for a company that values this and she applied and she didn't apply to the other ones what was the word paul if you don't mind sharing um um it was kindness okay and and that kindness. is that is not something you see in job postings i mean you you can My, go on the <laughs> on indeed right now and search kindness and it would come up with very few responses especially in in our industry so that that's key yeah our hr leader might might slap my my hand for saying it out loud but uh because we do think it's like one of our secrets to success but uh, i think it's you know it, different companies have different core values mm -hmm. um you know professionalism respect you know who knows what it might be teamwork um but you know the point of sharing those I think is a powerful concept. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like it. So um, you've talked to us about intent. You've talked to us about uh, you know how you do your recruiting. What, what's mm -hmm. a third uh, initiative that you've taken at either of these companies that that's helped with your company culture? Sure. Um, well, I can share more than more than three. Oh, um, cool. So. For sure, in our shop and even today uh, in in Pro Shop, uh, the idea that the the founders, the owners, are no more special than anyone else. We, you know, we at our shop, you know, we sat, you know, shoulder to shoulder, literally, you know, right next to everyone else in the company. You know, our estimators, our project managers, our salespeople, our planners, our programmers. Right? We didn't have special offices we, you know, we were just right there with everyone else. I love um, and, you know, coming back to the sort of financial thing from earlier, um, you know, there were times, uh, most of the years where, uh, we had employees that made more money than us. <laughs> right. Um, you know, when we were going through lean times, we were the very first people to not get a paycheck. Right. Yeah. Um, we were going through good times. Uh, still, there were employees that, you know, were very highly skilled uh, that did a lot of overtime that, that made more money than we did. Hmm. So, you know, I think uh, and we weren't open book to the point where everyone necessarily knew that. But I think it was when when they saw, you know, a lean time happen and we would let them know that, you know, we're going to have to, um, you know, go to some, you know, 32 hours, like 2000. Well, I mean, there were two periods of time right after 9-11 that yeah. virtually killed, almost killed the company, right? We were weeks away from bankruptcy um, wow. and certainly didn't pay ourselves during that period of time. And that was the only time in our history we had to do some layoffs. And then in 2008, um, it got a little tight, but we were also a lot better at navigating a difficult sure. you know, economy than we were in 2001 where we were still just little babies basically. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, just, you know, I think having, you know, sharing enough with the employees that you really think you are, you know, it, it's that servant leadership kind of model, right? Mm -hmm. You are there to, to empower them to do the best job they can, uh, for the company, for themselves and, uh, 
and you're there to, you know, what can you possibly do to, to help, help them succeed, right? One of, we do one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, in, you know, in our company, we always have in ProCNC as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so our, every, every manager leader uh, has one-on-one -on -one meetings with their team. And the, the, the question that I always end my one-on-ones with is what can I do better to support you? What can I, what, should, what, what can I start, stop, or continue doing to better support you? Wow. Right. Um, and I think keep bringing that bringing that question up in whatever form you want to ask it yeah. uh, is a powerful question because people feel supported. They feel loved, they feel empowered. And, uh, and when they do, they do amazing work for the company Yeah, and they care. They, they take that care and they transfer it to the customers. Yeah, absolutely. Right? If and someone is feeling dumped on at work. Who do you think they're going to dump on? Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, and so uh, leadership is, is not necessarily a innate trait for a lot of people, oh, right? It's, it's no. a developed no. trait. And, and so how do you get your leaders in your organization uh, developed to the point where they can do these things for you? We train them. Um, we, uh, last year we did with our senior leadership team, we did a 12 week intensive course on trust. Wow. So we met with that team with, a, a special trust coach, an author that uh, has a business, uh, consulting on, on building trust in, in organizations. Uh, and we did, you know, deep, deep learning and it was good for myself and my partners and it was good for our team. Um, and then they take that to their teams. So, yeah, we, so we do training. Um, we, uh, um, we, you know, besides the structures, the structured training that we offer, you know, we give our employees basically a stipend every year for doing their own personal development work, wow. um, that they can, they can spend that money on. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's a big focus. Um, and then trying to do it by example, you know, and yeah. I'm going to be 50 this year. And so I've had many years to learn from mistakes and, <laughs> you know, finally I'm not a fast learner. So thankfully I'm, I stick with it long enough to, to learn enough things, but, uh, I love it, but, uh, yeah. So trying to lead by example as well, of course, uh, as far as a couple other key things that we do today, um, we have done something that has really a tactical thing, but it's been really well received and just super fun part of our culture. Um, we have a, uh, we, we work with this company that offers, makes giving gift cards to employees really, really easy. Uh, uh, it's called Gusto uh, mm -hmm. with two, two U's. And so we have employees sharing gift cards with each other left, right, and center. I mean, they're just, and it's, you know, it costs a little bit of money, but it's, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, what we, what we focus on is when they recognize an employee, we ask them to share the core value that that employee exhibited and awesome. why they they want to, you know, give them a $25 gift card to wherever they want to buy something. Yep. Um, and then we share those in our company meetings. Um, and you know, you know, Mary, you know, uh, gave a, you know, a gift card to, to, uh, to, 
John, um, and this core value is is was is you know what they the reason, and this is the little you know thing why they why they shared that right. And we just That's do awesome. one or two each time, and and just reinforce that those values are so important to the company. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, so Paul, I, I appreciate you telling us you know your story, your journey, um, mm-hmm. both at uh, pro shop CNC and, and ERP, um, mm-hmm. talk to me, us about ERP systems in general, uh, because a big mm-hmm. part of a, a healthy culture is providing the right tools, uh, mm-hmm. for people to appropriately get their job done. Right. You, you of course have to be able to connect the, mission, the vision, the values to somebody's KPIs and to their job. But if you don't give them the tools to do their job, uh, there's a cultural breakdown. So talk to us a little bit about ERP and and its impact on uh, company culture. Sure. There's, um, and while I'm answering that, I'm going to try to pull up an email that I just received a couple of weeks ago that I think is a great example of, uh, of, of this in practice. Um, but while I look that up, so some of the obvious ones, when, you know, everyone's job is, is stressful to some degree or another, right? Uh, There's not a job out there that it isn't. Um, but if you can reduce the stress and the small little Oh, paper cuts, <laughs> you know, the death by a thousand paper cuts. Uh, it's a good analogy since we talk about going paperless. Yeah. Um, if you can reduce that sort of low lying friction and just things that are, that people don't enjoy about their job, that can go a long way to just having them feel generally more positive about things, which they'll translate into being kinder and gentler and nicer to their team members. Yeah. Right. Um, if people just aren't like beating their head against a wall because they keep, having this really tedious process that they have to do every day or, or whatever. Um, so I think that's, there's a lot of power there that most people don't really think about. Um, but here's this email. So I got this from a customer that's still in the middle of their implementation, uh, just came right before the, the Christmas holiday. And, and I'll just paraphrase, I'll leave out some of the middle part, but he says, if there's one sentiment that all of us are involved in the training or feeling, it's how ProShop will connect us. That and alone goes, is powerful. And he goes on to say, I feel that ProShop is going to unite us and will allow us to enjoy each other's company and dream up better new ideas versus consuming our time with the pains of the daily grind. <laughs> and I just, I'd never received a sentiment exactly that, you know, like that from, from a client and, you know, it made my Christmas break. Um, but just even to have a business owner thinking that way about how the software is going to impact their culture, because what he's talking about is improving the culture really, you know, um, you know, enjoy each other's company and dream up new and better ideas. Like that's a, that's a straight down the middle of the road culture thing. Right. Um, and, and so, and I, but I think he's a little bit rare, you know, the fact that I've never received uh, an email quite the same way. So I'm actually curious to ask you, you know, since you've been doing this now for, for a year or so, 
uh, and really talking to shop owners about culture, like, are you like, what do you see? What do you, what do you hear back? You know, when you, when you talk to people, to shop owners <laughs> about this? Well, Paul, uh, I wish I got emails like that, um, on a regular basis as well. I, I've received emails, uh, that, that run the gamut, but the majority of emails that I've gotten, uh, back are emails where, uh, you know, I'll send a, a, a drip campaign or, or outreach campaign to mm -hmm. uh, a, a group of prospects. And I'll get emails back saying, uh, that there's no place for soft skills in manufacturing. Um, uh, I'll be told, really? yeah, I'll be told that, uh, I'm a liberal snowflake because I care too much about feelings. Um, oh, I, I get told, uh, I, one guy even went so far as to say, I hope you fucking die. Um, and are you kidding me? I, I wish I was Paul. Um, but in reality, that's where this podcast was born from because for every two to three of those emails that I got back, I got an email back saying, we've got a healthy culture. You should come mm -hmm. check us out. Do you want to uh, talk about it on the phone? Maybe I've got some, uh, BDPs that you can share with other clients. Um, so uh, while there were a lot of those negative, uh, thought processes, uh, mm -hmm. about a third of the people responding were positive. Mm -hmm. and, and so mm -hmm. I would say that the, the mindset in manufacturing and really any skilled trade, right. Is slowly changing, but I hope to speed up that change, right? Uh, people's strategies aren't necessarily soft skills. Uh, I know mm -hmm. that uh, people's strategies don't directly create chips flying off your machine, but if you create healthy people's strategies, those people will give you discretionary effort, right? And they will yeah. work so much harder for you if you're willing to say, okay, you're a human being. Let's have a conversation. What are your likes? What do you dislike? What, like you said about your, your one-on-ones and how you end them, what mm -hmm. can I do better, right? As, right? as your leader. And I think that as the industry has more of those conversations, you will get more emails back the way you did. Mm -hmm. um, but right now we're in a place where uh, there's, there's a lot of old mindsets still out there when it comes to company culture um, and, and how people treat people. Uh, and I think that was exacerbated by uh, the, the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I think that our industry saw a lot of other industries work from home. Uh, right. We uh, we saw people struggling with childcare and that uncertainty of what jobs were going to look like, what family dynamics were going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so I think that uh, like a lot of things, um, 
this became more polarizing, uh, the, the people strategies became more polarizing to companies. And you've got a, a group of people who have really embraced, okay, let's, let's work at making this a place that you want to work. And there's another group that is just in a, a mindset of, I provide you with a job, you should be lucky, right? And I don't really see any in between. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you for sharing some of those emails. That is, um, it's shocking to me, to be honest. Um, so, and, and, uh, but I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised, you know, yeah. unfortunately there's just, just, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, discourse that's just not terribly constructive lately to yeah. our country in general, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, I will come back to my one of my original statements is that even the people sending those emails back are doing the best they can, right? Absolutely. They, they do not have better communication skills. They have not been shown uh, a great culture and the difference it makes in how people feel about going to work every day. Um, you know, and by no means, you know, do I want to get this to be political? Um, but, you know, there are companies out there, you know, run by conservative folks and liberal folks that have incredible cultures. And there are companies run by both that have terrible cultures. Right. And, and I, you know, I feel like the folks that don't believe that culture is such an incredibly important aspect of a, of a successful business, unfortunately for them, just haven't been part of one and seen what it's like because it, it is, it's amazing. You know, yeah. we've had, especially like, especially during COVID, you know, when there's so much separation and people are having to work from home and not see their friends and stuff. I mean, we've had employees of ours tell us like, you know, working for us is, it was like a lifeline. You know, they, that's awesome. They love connecting, you know, with their team members. We had, you know, happy hours and other little, you know, virtual meetings that weren't about business, yep. you know, every single week. Um, and, you know, I know I felt pretty isolated in mm -hmm. the world, um, but I really look forward to connecting with those, those folks. Um, so, um, yeah, I just, I would say if, if, you know, if you're listening and you are a leader in a business and you don't think like you, like the soft, this, the touchy feely part of, of culture, it just isn't your thing. I, I implore you to, to, to look past the, the labels and just think about, you know, the, the people that you employ, the people you work with and, um, and just how important how, you know, how it feels to be them, how yeah. it feels to show up at a business where you either feel supported, uh, and connected to your team members, or you feel disconnected. <coughs> and you mentioned, you know, culture doesn't directly make chips and no, it doesn't. But I can tell you if you have, you know, a shop owner and I've seen it and heard about it, you know, blow up at somebody on the shop floor because they, you know, something happened that they're mm -hmm. not happy about. And that machinist says, well, fuck you. I'm taking my toolbox and I'm leaving right now. <laughs> that is affecting your chip making capabilities. Absolutely. Right? That machine is not going to run the rest of the day or the week um, because you screwed up and you, you know, you probably, you know, dumped on someone for something that very likely wasn't their 
fault. It was a process problem. Yep. And, and average days to fill right now in a machine shop for an operator role is okay. 45 days. So not that's only a lot it, of money, that's a lot of money that you're losing out right there. Right. So it, it takes a lot less effort to just treat that person like a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think this is one of the more important, you know, we, we talk about um, it's, it's ubiquitous in the industry talking about changing the perception of manufacturing companies as not being dark, dirty places to work yeah. dangerous. You know, they're, they're, they're modern, they're, they're brightly lit. They have cool, safe equipment. They're doing fun, cool projects <laughs> and they're super important to our economy. Um, the same need, the same conversation needs to be had about the culture, because if you, even if you have super cool, fancy machines and white painted floors, but you're an asshole boss, you're not going to have people want to come work for you. Absolutely. Right? The, the the industry is small, right? Most machinists in their cities or regions know a lot of other machinists yep. and they can decide where they want to work. And they are sure as heck going to work for companies that, uh, that they feel good at that have good culture, you know, as I'm sure, you know, you know, compensation is not the number one reason <laughs> no. people work for, for companies, yep. right? It's like three or four down the list. Yep. So, uh, so yeah. Well, and, and now with the availability, I, I mean, you talk about, uh, generational changes, right? You've got a generation that's either in or coming into the manufacturing workforce right now that was born sourcing content online for the most mm -hmm. part, right? Mm -hmm. And with the different platforms, they don't need, it doesn't need to be a small industry anymore. It doesn't need to be that John can talk to Joe uh, because they're in the same region. All they have to do is go on some of these websites that talk and, and grade uh, companies, right? You've got oh, sure, yeah. all those, you know, ZipRecruiter and Glassdoor and all these, Indeed even does it now, um, where you can go online and, and rate their culture, rate their level of leadership. And that pops up when people are then looking for uh, information about your company. And, and if you don't have a positive culture, that's going to be reflected in your reviews. You can pay a machinist $50 an hour, but if they read a review about poor leadership or a poor culture, they're not coming to work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And if it's beyond just employees, I mean, I've seen, you know, as we, as we talk to shops and I, you know, look them up and various things, you know, I'll, I'll see reviews right on Google <laughs> from former employees with like a one-star rating. And you know, your prospective customers are going to see those as well. Exactly. Right. And who wants to send their business to a shop where people are quitting, you know, because their boss treats them like shit, uh, mm -hmm. because their job, your, your work is probably not going to get delivered on time if there's no one to make your parts. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's such, it's, it's so, yeah, it just underscores how huge of a topic this is for general business success. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's essential. So I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And I, and I hope more and more shops listen and take it seriously because there are some amazing positive trends in our industry right now, right? Yeah. With all of this onshoring and reshoring of business from overseas, 
there's, and I know 2023 is, is not feeling like that for every shop. <laughs> it's definitely, there's different industries that are thriving, but in general, right. the long-term prospects are fantastic and we need every shop to do their best to rise to the challenge to take this work that's coming back to our country. Absolutely. And if they can't, they're going to go out of business and, and there's, yeah, there's just, it, it needs to happen, right? Yeah, we, absolutely. It needs to happen. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> get off my soapbox. No, I, please. I, I was just going to say, uh, Paul, I want to do a second episode with you in about six months um, where we, we talk about where, uh, the, the economy has gone and, and where culturally, uh, we're headed as, as we go into the second half of the year. So I hope you'll mm -hmm. join me for a, a, a revisit and maybe we'll do it, uh, via video and put, put it out so people can actually see the shock and awe both of our faces as we have these conversations. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank yep. you very much, Paul. I appreciate you being on today. Was there any uh, last comments or, or uh, questions that, that you wanted to add before we uh, we part ways here? Um, I can't. Let me let me think here. Um, no, I think we talked about at least the biggest hitters that I could think of off the top of my head. I awesome. just, again, really appreciate, I think, this particular type of conversation uh, is, it needs to be had a lot more often. And, yeah. uh, and I think shops that see that understand the value and lean into it and work on improving their cultures, will see the financial benefits undoubtedly. Absolutely. And, and hopefully they will be willing to share that with the industry and just have a sort of positive upward cycle of improvement in culture, which helps, uh, the industry in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. If you have any questions or comments about building a positive culture in the manufacturing workplace, please leave them in the comment section below this podcast or email us at the manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Uh, remember, tune in for our next episode where we'll have yet another manufacturing leader share their cultural journey and their three initiatives that they've used to change their culture in their shop. Until then, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.